This is Chuck at Lazarus Recovery Podcast at the junction of faith and recovery. This is balls and strikes. I'm going to talk a little bit about counterintuitive love. We, we tend, to, tend to think we're compassionate, and if we're compassionate, then that's okay. You know, we think that compassion is okay. That's a bit of a problem. You know, that's that's something that's uh, good. Well, it turns out that there's a thing called codependency, which is everybody has trouble figuring out what that is. I do too. But our instinct for compassion has a tendency to be torpedoed by results. And that that's the counterintuitive part. The reason I'm going to talk a little bit about this now is because I found that there's the Lord is zero codependent, uh, which is a bit of a frustration because you can't manipulate somebody that's not codependent. And that that leads to think, figuring out how should we take God, you know, because there isn't anything, any place that human being is going to try to manipulate something. And with God, it's just there's no manipulation there. It is what it is. And um, you got to sort of deal with it. And if his word is absolutely true, it's, that's the problem. It's absolutely true. What he says goes and what he means goes. And he doesn't have a codependent bone in his body, which seems like he's not compassionate. But that's not true. And that's why I want to talk about codependency. Because if you listen to it, you can identify with it. If you identify with it, then maybe you can identify with why softening gospel is not good. It's actually very codependent. It doesn't do about anybody any favors. You know, especially since you're not the one to call the balls and strikes. God calls the balls and strikes. And if you just change the rules and that, help everybody think that the rules are changed, then you're not doing anybody any favors. You're not doing anybody any favors at all. So let me talk a little bit about what some, you know, names are changed. But what does codependency look like? The one I saw the most is parents. They have a child, which they raised. Maybe they made mistakes. Maybe it was messed up. A lot of times they did make mistakes, but the problem with is they made the mistakes and they care for the kid and he gets into drugs and alcohol and bad behavior and their overwhelming tendency is to make up for the bad mistakes by rescuing the, the person from the consequences of what they're doing. And that never works which I have to remind myself because I do that with my kids. So what's, what's, the, what's that look like? What's it look like? So I'm going to tell a couple stories. I'll mix things around. Hopefully you won't, nobody will recognize what I'm talking about. But I ran a sober house, and there was a lady who I just knew the guy because he was in the house. But I got started getting calls, phone calls, from the lady said, I'm so-and-so's mother. 
Um, I said, okay, great. You know, I mean, it's like, he said, yeah, he's, we got problems here. And she said, uh, uh, you know, I'll, you know, she, she basically would do anything to have him get better because, you know, I wasn't maybe blah, 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 a million different things, things that she didn't do good or whatever, or it was just whatever. Um, and that, that was a, that was a problem. So she was, you know, we went through this and he was just, he wasn't getting with the program. He was not getting with the program. Started to find out he was relapsing. Whenever there was a problem, she'd come to the rescue. But it wasn't helping him. It wasn't helping him at all. You know, and in the end, uh, in the end, he had to leave because the house was getting sold. But, uh, you know, the mother had to come and pay for the room. He wasn't paying for the room. It was just a, it was a horror show. She had no control over the kid. And I don't think he wanted control. He was just, he basically despised his mother. And she cared a million percent, you know. She was guilty. She was just, she'd just do anything to have him get better. And um, he wasn't in the place to get better. He wasn't ready. He wasn't, he didn't want to pay the price to get better. And uh, and she'd pay any price. And that was part of the problem. She'd pay any price. And he wasn't in, the, he wasn't engaged in the process. So in the end, he had to leave. So he had to leave, and the house was going to shut down anyway, so he left. And she was just a wreck. You know, I said, well, you know, you can come and pick up his clothes. She didn't want to pick up his clothes. I mean, she just, she'd done everything in her power to help him change. But that didn't work, no matter how much you care or how guilty you are or whatever. The hard part is to understand that you really don't have any any ability to change what you desperately want to change. It's, it's terrible to watch. I finally just had to, uh, we had to spend our own time and energy to pack up all the stuff, mostly stuff she'd bought him, which she, he disrespected her for. It was just, it was just very, very difficult. The mother was desperate for him to get better. And he was equally desperate not to get better and get over on his mom. For some sort of resentment, it was just like ridiculous, devastatingly poor program. It was just awful. The thing you got to understand is, and the thing point I'm trying to make is, is that no matter what the compassion, a lot of times it can't reach a person. It just does not reach a person as desperately as you want the person to see the light and to change direction. And as much as you want to help it along and ease the burden, it just doesn't work. It works counter counterintuitively. It's like it's a lot of those situations. Liberal love and affection is is counterintuitive. It does not work. You know, and that's the, that's the point of this lesson is, is that sometimes we, our heart wants God to be a certain way, but he is another way. He understands exactly what it is. And he understands that misplaced compassion 
a lot of times doesn't work. You know, boundaries work. It's harsh, but that's point. That's excuse me. That's the point I'm trying to make. Is counterintuitive, and the compassion which you think should work turns out to not work at all. You know, it's like a, a immensely emotionally devastating place to find yourself where your love and your compassion doesn't work at all. That you can't stop the. You can't make a pay a price for them. You can't bail them out. You can't do anything. It's just they are, you know, not not rescuable. And I think in liberal type of theology, there's no such animal that, given enough of care, everybody will come around to being to being good and pleasing. It's simply not so. I ran a sober house five and a half years, been in recovery 48 years. You know, in AA, you say, some people just don't get it. In fact, a lot of people don't get it. And the people that do get it are immensely lucky to get it. And I, although of us have been sober a long time, we, we know it's by grace that God's grace, mercy carried us through and prone to make mistakes and we make mistakes and yet God's grace carries us through. You know, a lot of times, you know, the biggest grace in the world is a good kick in the butt. You know, a good shock that life has to deal with us so that we get the point. Helps us become teachable and compliant. And that's what I'm, I think, what I'm trying to get. Now, I want to tell one final story. We had a guy in, a pro, in the house. And some guys were just complete, uh, appalling human beings. They were just appalling. They were just duplicitous and, you know, uh, gamey and manipulative and just, just awful, raunchy, disgusting people. Drunk or sober, high or clean, they were they were just dis- disgusting people. The more you work with them, the more disgusted you got. They're appalling people. Just just of the disgustedness was equal to any compassion you could bring up. And by the end, you're just like, oh, no, you're gone. Your history, you know, have a good life as best you can. But other people were like sweethearts. They were like. They were trying, they were doing a thing, they were they were, they were just nice people. Had no front trouble making friends, were friendly to everybody, they were sweethearts. And there was this particular guy. He was he was friends with the the house the house manager was promoted from the house. And this guy was friends with the house manager and knew him and uh you know, it was, and he, he knew everybody in the house. And there wasn't anybody that was angry with him. He was a sweetheart, you know, and he had parents. And, um, you know, he was an addict. You know, he had to deal with his parents because he'd had so much trouble. They said, you know, he had to deal with them that every once, every, every so many days, he would phone them and check in with them. 
and let them know that he was okay, just to reassure them because he had he had not been okay a number of times, and they just wanted to be reassured that he's he's okay. Well, we get a at a certain point we get a phone call. Uh, my house manager got a phone call and they passed it on to me that the parents are calling because they're frantic because they hadn't heard from him because he was he was a good guy. He called his parents, reassured them, okay, everything's going okay. And um, his call was overdue. And uh, he really hadn't, he'd been faithful about calling them. And he just, they hadn't heard and they were frantic. And I have to, I, everybody was concerned. You know, this guy was personable and he was humble and he wasn't, he didn't have any of the isms particularly, but he was an addict. I mean, he used and, um, it was dangerous for him to use. Well, this went on for a while, for a few days. But then uh, the call that uh, was most dreaded, we got the call that was most dreaded. This guy who's in the house had been found OD'd in a car outside a drugstore a few towns away from where the house was. It was appallingly bad news. Um, I never made it to call the parents, but I was brokenhearted. It was like God, you know, I mean, he wasn't... He wasn't on the radar as being a, a relapser, but it turns out that they, he'd been relapsing a little bit. And he just got the wrong stuff and he was dead. To this day, I'm brokenhearted for the parents. But the thing was, as much as they loved him and they cared for him and they created a bunch of stuff to help him, you know, the addiction claimed him. And I think that's the point that I want to make is, is that we have an idea that loving, compassionate people make all the difference. And actually, the, the best thing that some people need is not compassion, but, you know, a good swift kick in the butt. Need to be held accountable in a strong, strong way without any slack. And that's not necessarily to think that God is that way is a little bit troubling. But that's just what God is. He's, you know, you turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand him, and he's going he's gonna to do what he has to do. You know, it's not, I had a saying when I was getting sober, you get what you need, not what you want. And the funny thing is that that's, that's the definition of who God is. He gives you what you need, not what you want. And a lot of times our wanter is busted. You know, and our need thing is, is specific and difficult. You know, so that's what this lesson is about. It's, a, it's about that, that counterintuitive thing that says what we want isn't necessarily what we need. Let me say again. You know, what we want is necessar not necessarily what we need. <laughs> to make the point a little bit deeper, I said, the Bible isn't what we want, it's what we need. 
the definitions in the Bible, the rules in the Bible, everything is not what we want, but it's what we need. And when you st- if you if you can get that principle in your head, then you're halfway there. You know, you're you're halfway there. You can read the Bible and say, "I think this absolutely stinks." I think this is appalling. It obviously shows God's just some sort of sadistic piece of garbage. Therefore, we are going to, since it's obvious that God is not like that, then somewhere along the line, the, the, the Bible got corrupted by legalists or something like that. And, that, and so they, what they do is they rewrite the Bible and they redefine it so that the God of the Bible that they read is more comfortable. It's, it's more has this, uh, this, this corrective thing of, of you, know, you know, uber compassion and no discipline. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that human beings don't need sloppy, gloppy compassion. A lot of times they need a good swift kick in the butt. If you read the Bible, and you can tolerate to read the Bible, welcome to a swift kick in the butt. Now, the Bible is like, no, seriously, what you're doing has extremely bad consequences. You say, now, God can't. Listen to me. Trust me. You do this and you have nothing to cover that up. I will do this. You say, no, that can't be. So you correct your theology so that he won't do that. You know, that you're always in a good stead with God no matter what you do. He forgive everything. Not Bible. Not Bible. Bible says, you know, yeah, we deserve, we all deserve, we all are going to be vulnerable to being stupid, and we're going to be stupid. So we're caught in the middle. Well, he's going to just forgive that. No, he's not going to forgive it. But he's worked out an arithmetic that works for him. You know, and the arithmetic is grace, saved by grace through faith. But it does not, it's not, it's not I'm going to change. I am you're going to give unmerited grace if they believe in me, you know, and they surrender to me and they accept my grace. But he doesn't change his rules. He changes the way he administers those rules. And that's the thing that I want to get across, that... Sometimes our definition of compassion is no compassion at all. But his definition of compassion is everything. It's not the merit of of the grace that we have is the merit that Jesus won, not the merit that we earned. And it's a completely different way of looking. And if you want to understand who God is, you, you you got to be willing to accept the the difficult part you have to accept the difficult part of of the scripture and it is it goes down hard it goes down hard because there's no codependency there 
read it and you say, uh, and you've got to accept the fact that he is who he says he is. And that's the point of this lesson. The balls and strikes are, he calls the balls and strikes according to his grace, not our grace. You know, we can't go and say, oh, he'd never do that. He most definitely will do that. If he says there's a hell, there's a hell. You know, you say, that can't be. Well, he says it is, so it is. Well, I don't believe that. That's fine. You don't have to believe that. You don't have to believe in him. And that is the that is the linchpin of salvation is believe who he is, what he is, what he did, and you'll be saved. You know, that that's just like really, really, really difficult. So this is Chuck at Lazarus Recovery Podcast, the Junction of Faith and Recovery. And that's the point I wanted to make in this podcast is that your understanding of what love is is not necessarily constructed on the reality of the way the world is. You have to accept the fact that, that God has a right to have the make the rules, and the rules are not going to be something you're going to like. You know, because we are capable of being codependent. We are capable of not doing anything that's good for us. And that's the point I'm trying to make, is that the hard balls and strikes of the gospel and of the Bible aren't necessarily not right because they're difficult. It's sometimes the difficult stuff is the call that's going to change things. And that's what it is, is that I just want you to understand that just because you don't like the way God calls it does not mean it's, it's not true. You know, so this is Balls and Stripes, and this is Chuck at Last Recovery Podcast, Junction of Faith and Recovery. Thank you much. Bye-bye.